Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk with a freelance journalist for outdoor media and discuss freedom from a refugee's perspective. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are we doing? Doing well, buddy. Been uh, spending more time than I like in and around New York City these days, but uh, yeah, I'm living. Yeah, doing well. It's crazy down there. I mean, I just I'm so amazed. People like living there. You know what's funny is. I have no interest and even like <laughs> I, I have family down there. Like the only, I would say thing I would maybe occasionally want to do is go catch an occasional Yankee game. Yep. But I really, even that, I, I just, I don't like it. I don't like being surrounded by people. I don't like it. Everyone's like, Oh, it's a beautiful city. I'm like, it looks dirty to me. Like, that's just me. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody, but it is not for me. Give me the mountains, baby. I know. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, is what it is. How's everything else? Everything else is doing good. Um, happy to uh, be back in the studio. Uh, it was nice to do a little show remotely, but uh, always yeah. more comfortable in my chair. Yeah. <laughs> Captain's chair. I don't know. If it, yeah. yeah. It's like, I guess it's kind of like, I think it's the wheels. You got you got some really good wheels on these chairs. Those wheels are dope. <laughs> so uh, my wife, the Eagles fan, wanted to congratulate you on your <sighs> big win. I didn't want to, I didn't, no. didn't want to, you know, rub it, rub it in. in. I, I was like, you should have rubbed it in. <laughs> well, it wasn't... Uh, it, it it didn't look like it was going to be that way the whole game. So <laughs> no, no, listen, the Jets have had a rough road. You know, lost Aaron Rodgers. So whatever. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was. I was happy to see it happen. Yeah, it's the first time they ever beat the Eagles too. It is. It's crazy. Yeah, my son was born on a home game, a Jets home game that I was supposed to go to, and uh, I remember my wife waking up saying, uh, "I think I'm I'm in labor." I'm like, "No, you're not in labor. <laughs> you're fine." Uh, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. So let's shift gears here a little bit. When it comes to buying ammunition, you need to look for a product that is accurate, reliable, and if possible, reasonable in price. New Republic Ammunition from Target Sports USA checks all three of those boxes and comes in six, soon to be seven popular calibers. Be sure to sign up for their Ammo Plus membership at targetsportsusa.com, which gets you 8% off all ammo purchases, free shipping, priority alerts, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. Worth mentioning, about a month ago now, at the airing of this episode, we were at uh, Target Sports' big event and uh, that we were told that they were going to start releasing ammo for AKs, baby. <laughs> That's the new ammo. So, I, you know, it was it was a really good event. And if you haven't listened to that special episode, go and listen to it. It was really cool to talk to people from all around the country and, and hear all kinds of cool, interesting things about where they live. So go check that thing out. So if you're listening to the show and you're looking to support us, I have to say that our Discord page has been heating up lately, so you're missing yeah. out. Um, join Discord. There's a link in the show notes. You also can reach out to me on Instagram, and I can send you a link. But uh, it's a it's a good time. There's been some good memes coming out. There's been some good discussions on on different products, and uh, overall, just a good crew of guys and, and gals. I think there's a couple ladies in there. And uh, if you want to join us, head on over. It's it's kind of a private community, and it beats the heck out of a lot of social media that's going to stifle your Two A love. <laughs> so we're gonna get into the interview, but before we do, today's interview is brought to us by Flatline Fiberco. Flatline makes everything from slings to dumb pouches to their brand new IFAC pouch. Slings or slings? Slings, baby. Oh, slings. Yeah, yeah, slings. yeah. 
We love their new. Uh, it's like we love a fling. We love the uh, the pimp pouch. Their uh, their IFAC pouch. It's great. Carries everything you need in a small and manageable size. And I highly recommend checking out all of their handmade products at flatlinefiberco.com. But to get an even better deal, make sure you use the discount code given to us, Gun Experiment Ten, at checkout to get ten percent off. Chad's a great guy, and you know support great businesses in the Second Amendment space like Flatline Fiber Co. All right. So today's guest is a media strategist, podcaster, and award-winning outdoor writer specializing in freelance journalism. She is also an avid angler, gun owner, and hunter. Please welcome Gabriella Hoffman to the show. Gabriella, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you both. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Uh, I believe we met from, uh, we were introduced by Roy Hill. I think An excellent gentleman. Roy is phenomenal. Yes, yes. He's so awesome. I, I wanted to give a shout out and thank him for for making the introduction and allowing Absolutely. us to have a nice conversation with you. Absolutely. And he before he left Brownells, he helped me get uh, the different tools and kits to assemble my very own AR-15. So I was very happy as like a parting <laughs> gesture, you know, um, well before he left a little bit. But one of the last things he did for me, and I never ask him of anything because I hate asking for things as a media person, but he was like, I want you to build an AR and let's do it with Brownell parts and gears and all that. So that was really nice of him to do that. And uh, now he's on to bigger and better things too. Yes, 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 he is. So let's get right into this thing. You are a big advocate for conservation and a big proponent of hunting and fishing. You recently, I don't know how recent it was, but you did a video a while back called Republicans Who Hunt Shouldn't Be Shamed. So That's a while ago. Yeah, yeah it was a while ago, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it was very, very good and very well done. And so I'm curious, why do you think hunters are so shunned and receive such backlash from society? Like that's a, it's a weird thing because it's a very like proud tradition in our country, but I agree with you. A lot of times they're, they're kind of shamed and it's, it's unfortunate. Hunting has been obviously under attack for a while. And I say this as someone who's fairly new to hunting. I've been hunting actively, I would say since December 2nd, 2017. I remember the exact date when I consider myself uh, becoming a hunter. And then I did, of course, the uh, hunter's education course and, you know, stewed over wanting to become a hunter, learned about conservation. And yes, it is a very misunderstood sporting activity, although it funds like 60 to 80 percent of conservation uh, combined with fishing, of course, um, largely through excise taxes on guns and ammunition as well. Uh, but it's an activity that fuels conservation. It actually bolsters the environment a lot more than even so-called projects from environmentalists. Hunting has a huge footprint monetarily, environmentally, and people really take hunters for granted. And we've seen across the years, I've, I've noticed this in my reporting and, and cited this in my reporting too, that hunting People recognize the importance of it, and, and without it, uh, environmentalism ceases to exist, um, traditions cease to exist, and it plays an interesting role. Obviously, year-round, too, you can hunt most of the time year-round, depending upon the state. You can't hunt everything year-round, but you could do predator hunting year-round. Right now, we're in fall, so obviously, people are seeking out deer, elk, bear, turkey, pronghorn, antelope, if you live out west. You know, there are lots of different offerings you can hunt. And, and it's a great activity. It's not just about, obviously, taking a kill shot, harvesting an animal, but it's far more than that. It's waking up early, seeing a sunrise, or if it's towards the end of the day, just before sunset, you know, admiring a sunset as well, enjoying your surroundings, being heightened to what is around, 
different wildlife you may encounter that are not in your obviously intended. Yeah, uh, if I can just stop you for one second, because you mentioned a couple of things that uh, I found very interesting and I just want to touch on them. So the one is you talked about the conservation piece. And one fact that I always like to talk about when that comes up is the idea that, and some people do know this, but the wild turkey in America was almost extinct uh, many years ago. And it was through... um, through hunting and licensing that that was able to, that conservation was able to bring them back. And so I always find that very interesting. People think that hunters want to just take and take and take, but we give back so much. And so you mentioned that, and, and that's just one example where we've seen that success of the proliferation of, of a species. So first off, I agree with that a hundred percent. And then the other part is you mentioned the, uh, seeing the sunsets, the sun, the sunrises, the sunsets, and, there's, I believe it was a, it was actually an actor, a Hollywood actor. I believe it was Chris Pratt, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that said something along the lines of, uh, you're driving down a road and you're passing a patch of woods, but I'm in those woods and I'm watching the nature wake up around me. I'm seeing, hearing the birds start to wake up and chirp. I'm seeing the sun come up. I'm seeing a squirrel romp around and not taking for granted at all at how special that is. And so you brought that up and I just think that that's interesting because every time I'm in the woods, I think the same thing, that it's amazing to watch the woods come alive like that. So anyway, I wanted to just share that because I I share your um, sentiments very much so and I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. He probably did say that knowing uh, kind of his mannerisms and his unabashed support of hunting. It was probably him. I don't follow him on social media, but I reckon he probably said that but I, I even look to even outside of my backyard. So I live in suburban Washington, D.C. on the Virginia side because I'm allowed to own guns there. It's <laughs> much nicer, safer, family friendly, what have you. I just love living in Virginia, even in the urbanized kind of parts closer to D.C. And even just outside in my backyard, it's not acreages. It, it's like not even an acre either. But I have enough space in my backyard where I can see white-tailed deer. I've seen, you know, boxes. I've, I've seen three kits with a mother. I've seen red tail hawks, bald eagles flying over, ospreys. I see so much wildlife. And the part of hunting is you also have to build an appreciation for the wildlife you're admiring too. And it's it's not, like I said earlier, about just the kill shot. It's about being aware of your surroundings, enjoying what you may be seeing. Maybe some reptile comes across your way. Maybe you see some really cool mammal. Maybe you see some birds. You experience some really beautiful display or maybe it's a little rainy or maybe it's snowy. But it's just so gratifying to be out in the woods and it's it's pacifying you can be one with nature it's a good way to distress and i think if we had more people out in the woods and also in the water because i like to fish as well i think we would have a lot of people who are far less stressed far less angry and far less eager to you know wage battles on social media and be really at each other's throats and i think we suffer in this country from a misplaced misplacing of priorities. I think more people on the the water and in the woods would be phenomenal. Obviously not to the point where every single person's in the woods. You can't have that. It's impossible. Um, overcrowdedness is never good, but it's impossible to have everyone. But I would like to see more people enjoy what I've enjoyed for the last better part of six, seven years. I mean, fishing I've been doing since I was eight years old, give or take, much like you both do, you know, going target shoot ranging and and hunting and all these different activities. And and so much is lost when you're not attuned to nature. And then we have people lecturing about what conservation is who don't really recreate outdoors. They may go to a national park once a year, but they're not out in the woods. They're not foraging for mushrooms. They're not looking to see, you know, maybe interesting patterns on trees or they come across white-tailed deer 
or spot some really cool bird of prey. Like a lot of these people, I, I encounter a lot of them in DC or the Acela corridor, which also stretches towards you guys in New York City and in the Hudson Valley. Of course, a lot of people may kind of preach from their perch about, you know, we're conservationists or we're environmentalists, but they have no proximity to their surroundings. And then they love to lecture to all of us about what is true conservation, how we best steward the environment. So I think people have to get off their perches, off social media more so, and really go out to the woods and, and commune with hunters too, because hunters, like I mentioned before, were the biggest conservationists, much like with anglers and other stewards of the environment. And like I said, gun owners actually tend to fund the bulk of that money in addition to um, purchasing it for hunting as well. As you're saying this, I think part of the problem with the backlash from society is really the idea that the hunter, the American hunter is a bit misunderstood. So correct. as a follow-up to this, you know, I find it interesting that whenever anti-gun politicians want to attack the Second Amendment, the first thing they do is embrace hunting and say things like, no one's coming for your hunting rifle, or you don't need an AR-15 to kill a deer. <laughs> so it's funny because it feels like hunters hurt the Second Amendment efforts, but the 2A advocates hurt the efforts of the hunters to have their pastime accepted by mainstream America. So how do you think we can balance those two agendas where it's not so, uh, you know, where hunting is accepted, but it doesn't hurt the, you know, the, um, the Second Amendment community, so to speak? I think there's interests in both to protect one another. And I've tried to have crossover in both because most of my media coverage started in the Second Amendment realm. And I still aggregate there and I still write there. I haven't focused so much on gun issues recently just because there's so many other people who can tackle it. I have some other priorities I have to do, but I'm obviously still vested in promoting the Second Amendment. I retweet other journalists who cover guns very accurately and objectively um, whenever I cannot do it myself. But I always caveat a discussion about how do you draw the parallels between the two activities? Because obviously the tools involved in hunting are largely rifles. So if you're shooting with a gun for hunting, you should support the Second Amendment. It would be kind of counterintuitive if you don't, uh, because you make that purchase. You go undergo gun safety courses, uh, do training, what have you, um, and and you're, you know, adhering yourself to that. And then on the hunting side too, um, I haven't really met anyone who's anti Second Amendment unless they're like in the Northeast or some people who are like, I like hunting, but the AR platform. Right. Uh, there are a few of those people out there, Westies. And I'm a Westie myself. Um, I grew up in California, so I, I know how these people operate. I don't agree with their reasoning. But I think we can bridge the differences between the two camps. There's a lot of overlap. And I know sometimes Second Amendment supporters feel slighted, like, why is my money? Why are these excise taxes going to hunting? And I tell them, it's a good system in place. Is it, not, is it perfect? Not entirely, but it's much better than what people are proposing to do. Um, but but it's also important to caveat and say that the Second Amendment is not about deer hunting. We love to see disarmament advocates, or we see rather, uh, disarmament advocates always pushing for or, or using the argument, this president, for example, uh, deer and Kevlar vests. Uh, right. You don't need to have an error, you know, uh, unless you're shooting a deer in Kevlar vest, which is a silly joke. It makes no logical sense. Deer are never in Kevlar vests, of course. <laughs> and um, an AR works perfectly fine. My first deer that I got in 2020, it was using an AR platform in Wyoming, in the very Black nice. Hills. Yeah, so it's it's a very comfortable mode, not really different from, you know, similar caliber of a different type of rifle. It's the same type of shooting. Um, I think it's even more comfortable. I had far more accuracy sometimes compared to like a shotgun or a, a, another type of rifle platform. 
Um, and it's very easy to do and, and to use. And so I'm of the belief that any weapon, as long as it's legal and lawful in your state within each particular season, you should use it. And then the people who get high and mighty, some of the hunters who get high and mighty, who tend to be supporting of, you know, disarming a little bit here and there, as long as it doesn't affect them. But um, any platform should not be discriminated against. And if it's easier for someone to do it, if it's more convenient and you're not obviously being unethical, by all means, use that. So that's something you have to get around and, and kind of overcome that because sometimes the camps do fight. But generally speaking, they do come together and they've been coming together a lot more recently. I'm in a lot of different coalition groups. I talk to people in different advocacy organizations who say that the two hunting and Second Amendment advocates shouldn't be at odds with one another because they're going after both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I think making that known and, and an urgency is extremely mm. important. Then too, you can get a lot of people who are like me. I started you know, kind of my sporting journey in firearms first. And then I made my way into hunting and I do both now. And so there are a lot of people in the shooting sports community, so to speak, who could be potential hunters. They just haven't realized it yet. Or maybe they haven't had an opportunity here in the Northern Virginia area. I befriended a lot of people working in politics as well, who are avid hunters. So I was just really lucky even living close to the city to have people who could mentor me, encourage me to go hunting as someone who first started with shooting sports in 2010 um, and, and like I said, fishing before that, when I was eight years old, a long time ago, <laughs> and, you know, it was a natural gateway into it. And I think some hunters also take an interest, kind of do the inverse of what I do and what a lot of shooting sports enthusiasts do. They, they may start hunting and then they get really into target shooting and vice versa. But you see that pipeline that needs to be made more between shooting sports and hunters. And I think different groups are working to do that. Um, you see more and more pro second amendment organizations advocating for hunting, which is nice because I think they forgot to do that for the longest time. So maybe hunters were very turned off by second amendment groups saying like, where are you, you know, defending our livelihoods? Like there's a lot of overlap, like you should come and right. defend us. It's, it sounds like there is some parallel, yeah. you know, correlation becoming between those two, two topics. And that's, and that's good. Um, we you, we've talked, I think a couple of times and I made some, you know, inferences to <clears throat> how sometimes it's ironic how these, you know, these, uh, conflicting or parallel, um, uh, you know, hunting and, and Second Amendment advocates kind of go together. And you recently commented on on social media that there the irony behind the misinformation that's being presented as fact by both established and independent media. And that made me start thinking, you know, about uh, maybe taking it one step farther. And do you think that there's an increase in hypocrisy on both sides as a result of of the diverse opinions? It depends on the situation. Because you do see, I mean, the democratization of media is good in many respects. I'm not knocking that whatsoever. Sure. But it unfortunately invites a lot of people who just put out information and it's not properly vetted. But yep. then you have established media, and I don't really consider myself established, but I've been published in very prominent publications. So I like to have, you know, crossover into mainstream media. And then I do, you know, a lot of writing for outdoor and conservative media. But I think both, you know, alternative and so-called established media can get things wrong. I see this sometimes even in hunting. I had to correct the Wall Street Journal a few years ago in a tweet. It wasn't like angry or aggressive towards them, but they were talking about the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Uh, and they talked about uh, Yellowstone National Park, that people are hunting grizzly bears in national parks. And <laughs> if anyone with basic understanding, you don't even have to hunt grizzly bears. You don't have to go bear hunting. You know that hunting is forbidden in Yellowstone National Park of any species. <laughs> And so I had to be like, this is extremely inaccurate. What are you saying? Like, it's the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. 
And so um, even established media and well-intentioned reporters and even well-intentioned independent reporters can get a lot of things wrong because most of them today may be motivated by clicks or reaction or how much their opinion or tweet could get a lot of retweets and subsequent followers. That's the motivation. Maybe accuracy is not the motivation. And you see this a lot with anti-Second Amendment uh, influencers and newsmakers where they'll put out some things, you know, wrong nomenclature about a particular gun. Or they'll say, like, this particular gun is used in the most instances of crime, like an AR. Although statistics totally debunk debunk that assertion. And it's not obviously accurate to say that an AR-15 is mostly used in crimes. It's handguns, but that doesn't mean even with the handgun being used frequently in crimes that you have to ban it. Right. Um, it's, it's a matter of uh, enforcing the law and stopping bad actors from obtaining firearms. <laughs> is it is it short? But like, I always get so amazed at like when, when we talk about exactly what you're talking about on the show and, and you know, in the past, I just, I always find it so interesting that the side that says, you know, we need to ban AR-15s because of the amount of, of murders that happen with that, that platform. Why are they so, so short sighted? Is it, you know, to just stick to that platform and not notice, you know, that, um, that pistols are, 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 you know, way more, uh, you know, commit way more. I don't want to say the pistols commit more murder, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Is, are involved in more pistols. murders. Yeah. yeah. Is it, is it more of like an, in that case, is it more of an agenda? Like that makes me feel like there's an agenda there. Well, right? it, it, yeah. And it, it, I think it kind of goes to what, you know, what I'm, t- what I think you're referencing Gabriella about, you know, the, uh, these present presentations of facts as if they are, you know, you know, all knowing and all being when in fact they're not. And, you know, I, I always, I'll, I'll ask another question, I guess, you know, will, you know, will society ever realize the downside to the benefit of having, you know, this information such at a, at a large scale access, large scale access. And it's really just an, you know, a problem with so many different opinions. I mean, you know, and, uh, uh, somebody who's totally unrelated to media in any way, shape or form will retweet something and then it'll go viral. And, you know, like that, that to me seems yeah, irresponsible. Everybody has a platform. Yeah. Yeah. And is it, will society ever see the downside to that? I guess. There will be people identifying it. It's not so much a prohibition unless if it's something like egregious or promoting violence, but I think people are smart enough to recognize what is fact versus fiction. And well, I you know give, you give people a lot of credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but uh, I I do I have hope that people will be able to see past misinformation or disinformation, whether it's related to guns or hunting and, and even topics outside of what we're discussing here primarily. But I think a lot of people are easily gullible because it's satisfactory to think something is real. We see mm. stuff happening in, in world affairs where people want to believe something happened yep. and they fall for propaganda from terrorist organizations, for instance. Right. And they don't properly better check and, and they're confused about, you know, I don't know if this is accurate and I'm so confused and I have to be contrarian because everyone's contrarian now. And I think that's problematic. And, and we can, you know, identify that and say, like, this is not trustworthy. Let's not go here. And if it's the same, you know, kind of contrarianism, let's say applied to hunting and shooting sports, I, th- I think, you know, people, people, I think in, in our industries, I think people are seeing that and recognizing what is totally, woefully unacceptable, not rooted in fact, not rooted in basis of understanding. You know, when it comes to gun ownership, we've rational seen with people. The surge, rational people, exactly. <laughs> but we, we've seen with the surge of crime. I don't know if you guys have seen this too, but I have observed so many people change their opinions. 
And I hate to, I agree with to that. use, yeah. I, I hate to use the example, but I have Jewish heritage and I've seen a lot of people similarly of Jewish heritage or Israeli who have said in wake of Hamas's attack on Israel that they want to learn how to better protect themselves. I think we're sure. going to see more Jewish Americans look to defend themselves in wake of these attacks, especially all this anti-Semitism people are seeing on college campuses, uh, corporate boardrooms, uh, businesses, law firms, what have you. And so, um, especially since the COVID pandemic, even, even going back to that as recent as that as well, you saw people of different racial ethnic backgrounds. You saw mm-hmm. black Americans, I think, saw, uh, saw the biggest surge in gun ownership, like 58%, yep. the biggest increase yes. of any population in the United States. You saw women purchasing firearms. So I think because more people are purchasing firearms, they're getting the training, they're getting educated, they're seeing past this narrative that said gun owners are responsible for crimes. Because you look at that and you're like, why would a law-abiding person go through the trouble of committing a heinous act? We don't operate right. like that. That's not uh, our yeah, modest operation. I love your optimism. Well, I, that that is, makes me excited. I, I will say this, because since you mentioned optimism, you know, I've been on this thought process lately. I think I mentioned on the air maybe a, a, a while back. We're, we're being optimistic today. <laughs> well, yeah, we are. But it's we okay are, we'll, to feel optimistic. We'll go there. I hope. Yeah. No, no, no. But what I was going to say is, <clears throat> to some extent, like you said, like, will people ever realize? And I think yeah. to some extent, we've sort of let the genie out of the bottle. I think social media is here. It's not going anywhere, right? right. But I do think that we are infants in our journey in this new style of journalism and this new open platform where people, it, it, there's some positivity to everyone having a platform, but I think that we are very, very naive and young in this journey. And it's going to take a while. Like, I know I'll give you an example for myself. There was a time where I would get in like these online social media battles with people trying to debate. Th- and after a while, I was like, I one in particular conversation. I remember being like, he's never going to agree with me. And this isn't face to face. And I'm just spinning my wheels and I'm getting angry and I've never had an online debate since that day because I real personally realize yeah. this isn't how you debate. This isn't how you converse I, on controversial. I'm topics. just remembering you haven't had an online debate, but after an episode a few weeks back, we had a pretty good face to face debate. Yeah, but that's different. That's good, right? That's how it should be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, face yeah. to face. So <clears throat> I, I want to go back to um, Keith's original question, Gabriella, and I want to say that you know I was really glad he brought that up. But I want to also make sure that we're being clear to the listener that you are, you're not, we're not just asking your opinion to ask your opinion. You are a social media strategist and you also happen to have conservative values. And so I'm saying all of that to kind of give a small background, but obviously social media is throttling back any content related to firearms, uh, conservatism and anything related to self-reliance to be quite honest. So Mm -hmm. that we're, we all know that that's happening. It's not a, not a secret. So they can get away with this by acting as publishers all while enjoying the legal protections of a platform. And that goes back to the early days of the internet. And they've sort of enjoyed that, that luxury. But in your opinion, how do we win a culture war if we're not able to participate in what I would consider <laughs> we, we the can't modern, play the same rules. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not able to, persist, to participate in what I would consider the modern version of the public square. So as a strategist, you know, how can we, how can we kind of get our side out there? Yeah. The, I've had to self-censor any gun related content recently. And I know that's kind of a weak position to be in. Um, but I haven't really had any opportunities to post about guns because I have I've been traveling all this summer filming in the field and all that 
And so I haven't really shot much of guns in the last few months. So I'm neglecting there. But social media, I, I know people in these companies too, because I have to have a lifeline to them. And I've talked to them internally, the people that I know, and they understand the censorship. Can they do much about it? I'm not sure. But I think the 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 way that you go about this, I think to tell them like, hey, you guys are relying too much on AI. Uh, you should have a human person behind the computer screen, maybe answering complaints, maybe being a lifeline to people who work in the firearms industry hunting. It's crazy that it has to take a sitting, a sitting uh, U.S. senator to help restore like a Google account for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or a sitting senator or congressperson <laughs> to have to help restore a social media account of a company because the senator may know someone in these social media companies. And so it would be, Im- I, I, I've talked to different people in, in the social media companies who do align with conservatism and they are not opposed to hunting and fishing, but they may not have the power to change these certain decisions. I think right. it would be, um, and it's, it's not to excuse the companies for doing anything. And I don't know if I would want to <laughs> regulate or change that 1996 law. Cause as a publisher, myself, I would be held liable for crazy comments that people write on my article. So right. I don't like the changing of that, but I, I, think I don't have a problem with that just to be clear, but you have to choose one or the other. So if you're, if you're a platform, that's fine. Right. And, and that's, that's okay. Right. They don't adhere to that. Yeah. Right. They don't adhere to it. So, so if you want to enjoy the luxury of not being held accountable of what other people put on your platform, that's fine. But then you can't then say, but we're going to, we're going to also censor what right. you are allowed to say and not say you, you, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And that's the right. problem I have. No, of course. I think even, you know, regardless of where you fall in the 1996 law to repeal it, to reform it, what have you, um, the companies do engage in a lot of the censorship. It's been pretty bad, like a lot of throttling on Instagram, not for me personally, but maybe because I am conservative adjacent in their mind. Um, I don't have my story shown to many people. I have had people follow my account, but it depends on the time that I post it. Like I can't post any time and expect hundreds of people to like it. I have to post in the evenings to ensure that at least some of my followers can see what I'm doing. And I don't know if that's a platform censorship thing or if people are just logged off from the app altogether. I've heard and I've read different reports that people are checking out of Instagram because of all the different changes. Even, you know, kind of hardcore lefties too. They've said like, this is too crazy. All these changes, you were prioritizing reels. You don't really have an identity. I think it could be more so rooted in that they're trying to be like other platforms too, um, all the while still engaging in some kind of censorship practices. But I think it's also, like I said, just not long ago, that it could be too much of a reliance on AI, artificial intelligence. And I don't think AI should be regulated or or eliminated, but I think um, having that flag content automatically, my understanding is the sensors are operating, you know, using AI technology and even an innocent, you know, post that doesn't showcase you selling firearms or firearms parts, that'll flag (laughs) as, you know, a gun sale or violent content or, you know, even something classy like shells shot from a hunting trip, you know, from, from your bird, I'm sorry, from your uh, upland bird hunt or your waterfall hunt, um, even posting something tasteful, if it includes a, a used shot shell, that could even still be flagged. And I've had friends like post that, you know, I, I can't have my content shown to followers. I've sent this to different reporters that I know who are in touch with the companies too. And I've tried to talk to different people and maybe it'll be incumbent upon people like me who have connections to like put this in their ear more and say like, this is going to be coming. This is a problem. Do you have someone on staff who handles outdoor activities? You should, because if you don't, you're going to anger a lot of people um, with a lot of the confusion you have. 
I don't know if Twitter has gotten really better in terms of censoring gun content. I don't really see many people post guns because the algorithm is still not showing certain people to me. Um, although I haven't had any censorship on my account, but I do see that uh, they're incentivizing people who do outrage clicks. Even Elon Musk uh, really hasn't perfected the model of making it even more robust. Um, there's still some shortcomings to his tenure too. And I, I feel like I'm having people see less of my content now um, just because he's incentivizing people who do outrage clicks, unfortunately. So I just think, um, yeah, social media just has to do better. Um, I'll try personally to to put it in their ear to be like these these regulations or th- these um, mechanisms you have in place, like relying on AI. I had a, a salmon picture of mine flagged as like promoting violence because there was a little blood. Um, I didn't beat the fish. It just happens, you know, sometimes <laughs> yeah, with the, yeah. the hook. And so I, I talked to my con- contact there and he's like, oh, no, no, you shouldn't have this flag. This is crazy. And so I think it's a reliance on AI. Uh, you may have some people behind the scenes who are dictating policies that discourage conservatives or uh contrarians or people in the gun and hunting and shooting sports industry and and it's a industry-wide problem a lot of people have said this even people who don't like dabble into the politics side like even if you post like a deer picture um of a gripping grin like that even gets flagged even though it's not violent it's it's perfectly legal so i there there's a multitude of issues I think they can be resolved if there's willing parties in social media and if maybe perhaps their bottom line is affected. What if all the outdoor industry people who use the platform stop using it for a time? Would it have an impact? It probably would be impactful. Yeah. I, I just think it's hard to, to mobilize that many people to, to, Certainly. to do that. You know what I'm saying? On your When I was looking through your website, Gabriela, I noticed that uh, you had uh, you know, helped a fundraiser um, and did a, uh, a clay pigeon, short sporting clays and and uh, bird uh, pheasant bird uh, hunt, and uh, I I saw you got a got a pheasant. Did you enjoy that? Did you have a good time? Yeah, that was actually my first official hunt in 2017. And th- you're alluding to um, a really Semper, great group. Yeah, Semper Canine. Yeah, Semper right? Canine service dog providers. Yeah, so I know the husband and wife. The husband was a marine, and he's a dog trainer by profession. And in addition to um, getting payment for them from them, they said like, well, we're also going to fit in with our payment of having you after you film for us and and create a montage video, which I did, which was one of my earlier video projects that I did uh, for clients. I was able to have the opportunity to do upland bird hunting myself. And it was really nice. It was not too cold. I remember, you know, going into the hunt, like not being nervous, like being calm and collected. And I'd seen the dogs work already with people. I was shadowing the hunters, the veteran hunters, and seeing how it all goes. So it wasn't intimidating. I had done some clay shooting before. And now it was live ammunition, of course, handling, you know, shot shells and all. And so it was a little different. And I think to this day, even for me personally speaking, it's not a point of weakness. It's just being realistic. I feel like upland bird shooting or projectile shooting is still one of the hardest things to do with a moving object. <laughs> You're telling me. I, <laughs> I, I love it. That's my favorite thing I'm too. Terrible but I like it. it. And I hate yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like, I need to do more practice. Like I'm really good at long distance shooting and I like handling rifles and handguns, you know, at the target range. And, and sh- you know, I've, I've taken animals from, you know, a couple hundred feet, et cetera. So I like long distance shooting and I think it's fun, but the projectile stuff still gets me and I need to do more practice. I was ha- I was happy to see that picture. It looked like you had a good time, and you were talking about the dogs, watching yes. them watching them work, is m- one of my favorite parts oh, about so about cool. hunting with dogs. So you cool. know, like so they're cool. just we you know we uh, I have a friend of mine who has a has a dog, and 
you know, I just always get, I always laugh when we miss a bird because the dog gets so pissed, you know, he's so aggravated that we missed that bird. And uh, it's like hard to get him, the, the dog back on track to find the next bird. But so while we're on this topic a little bit, can you give uh, our listeners maybe a couple of your bucket list uh, outdoor angler or hu- hunting adventures that you'd like to do? I fulfilled one of my angling desires uh, this past summer. I went to Alaska and I did some salmon fishing. Cool. So that was really cool to kind of hit on my bucket list. As for hunting, I would really like to get an elk hunt in the books. One year, Virginia just reintroduced elk to our state, into our commonwealth. And just recently, I think as of last week, it was mid-October, the second annual hunt, the lottery hunt, was completed and all five, six hunters were able to get their bull elks. So I draw for that uh, for the past few years, haven't gotten it yet, but I'm hoping maybe next year, third time's a charm. We'll see. (laughs) Um, Or even down the road beyond that. But elk would be lovely, especially here in Virginia. It would be kind of a full circle moment. I covered the recovery efforts a few years before the hunt started and I've just grown so attached to that project because it's just like right in my adopted home backyard. That would be very cool for you to then get to actually hunt. Yeah. That would be very, yeah. very cool. Because they were extirpated from Virginia for many, many years and then reintroduced with some Rocky Mountain elk from Kentucky that eventually, or that came from, I think out West, even beyond uh, before uh, Kentucky reintroduced it a couple decades ago or so. But yeah, no, I think elk would be nice. I would love to do pronghorn antelope out West. Mm-hmm. I once applied for the Wyoming women antelope hunt, didn't get into it, but maybe in the future I will. Um, I would like to get a black bear too, because bear meat is actually really delicious. Although they have mange recently, some, some stay segments away, of the population. Stay away from those bears. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't want to eat mange bear, of course, <laughs> but um, the, the, the portion of the state where you can hunt bear closer to me, they have recorded a lot of instances of mange and I don't know why that's the case. Uh, obviously, I'm not a biologist, but I'm curious to find out why that's the case. But even despite that, um, there's still plenty of healthy bears and bear meat is really delicious. So that that's something there. And I don't really have any lofty, crazy goals. No, I mean, those, are, I would, those are some good ones. I mean, I've never hunted a black bear so yeah, or no. an elk. So <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit from Second Amendment stuff and uh, and hunting a little bit to, and, and move to an article that. I came across that you wrote a couple of weeks back um, and it was Biden's net zero policies will invite actual environmental crisis. So, yes. uh, you know, what do you say in your head when things like offshore wind farms and this article are not working? You know, you uh, talked about Sweetwater, Texas and, you know, the stockpile of uh, blades that are used up blades. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if I can get an, an unfiltered, you know, Gabriella thought, like, what do you think when you see stuff like that? It's ugly and terrifying. <laughs> you want my honest opinion? <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I try to be, I try to be as polite and sincere and I will be polite and sincere, but I'll be a little harsh. But when I see this and environmentalists propping up these so-called technologies that are supposed to pivot us into a transition for reliable energy, yeah. I study the shortcomings. I, I do this all the time. I'm going to be doing this a lot more v- coming up very soon um, because there is an intersection between energy, conservation, all of this together um, because you you have to have strong energy to, to have conservation because without an incentive to have people to want to conserve, you know, a lot of people also work in the energy industry and they like to hunt and fish. So a lot of similarities there. But back to your question, of course, um, even in the state of New York, I think you guys have we're initially planning to green light or, or um, 
rather uh, onboard different offshore wind projects. And I think your sure. state is even canceling and pulling back uh, offshore wind turbines as well. But I'm honestly terrified of these structures, not because I'm a you know person who's un- unwanting of like t- technological advancement, or I'm a neophyte, or any of that sort, or neo-luddite. That's a more appropriate word here. I'm not against technology. I'm not against you know finding new technologies, especially as it relates to energy. But what we're working with here, just in some of the assessments I've done, the reporting work I've done, speaking to people in different rural communities, suburban areas who don't want these projects coming to their towns, um, and they feel like they're having this forced on them to fulfill, let's say, this president's or this administration's agenda. Um, and it, it, it is really terrifying because these don't work at 24-7 power baseload. They require lots of tracts of land, and the energy output is extremely dismal and, and pathetic. And that's just wind turbine, you know what I mean? And then Solar we, as well. We, I was going to say, we can get into solar for a minute. And again, I'm going to bring this, you know, kind of back to something I'd said a little earlier. It just seems so short-sighted, you know. We can't even we can't even maintain our own power grid needs in some parts of this country. Yeah, you and I talk about <laughs> the EV car stuff like, yeah. all the time. Well, <laughs> you referenced Gabrielle in your, in this article, uh, Princeton University warned about the amount of acreage that solar facilities would need to Right. Achieve net zero by 2050. It's the size of Virginia, you you know, they Mm -hmm. quoted. So I, you know, put that into perspective, right? And okay, some of it might not be, you know, land that's used right now for farming or something. It might already be cleared, but some of it is going to require, you know, um, logging or, you know, whatever you want to, the worst you want to think of, 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 you know, tearing around natural habitat, right? So you know, do you think that the environmental of that and the technology impacts could be as bad as like fossil fuels? Like, is that I think it, even worse? Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. Absolutely worse because you look at let's say for instance, I'll go back to the Virginia elk example. That elk habitat in Virginia's southwestern portion is reclaimed coal fields, and reclaimed coal fields are fertile habitat, great nutrient source, of course, for deer, and it's renewable. Uh, it can be reused for different purposes. And, and down in southwestern Virginia, they're also looking to do a lot of nuclear energy development as well. And you can reuse that land that was previously coal for other di- different types of you know uses and sources. I have not seen any evidence yet, and I could be pointed to it and maybe proven wrong here, but I haven't seen any evidence where land that was used for solar or wind projects, let's say when they become decommissioned, what happens to that land? If it's repurposed, is it salvageable? A lot of destruction has to go into digging, obviously, for a turbine, installing solar fields. Um, And then a lot of people have said for solar fields, the inefficiencies with that and when they don't work to their full intended shelf life, you can't remove them because they contain toxic particles. They're not being recycled. They're just being dumped, you know, because they're cheap. Yeah, and same with the turbines. I mean an untold amount of concrete goes into that and you're still not getting rid of so-called fossil fuels or or coal, oil, and natural gas. You're having to back that up with fossil fuels that are being bemoaned by these people. Like these people say, well, we have to phase away from fossil fuels, but the only way you can get these online is if you're using and powering them by fossil (laughs) fuels. And then you're also using a lot of fossil fuels for the infrastructure, which is byproducts. Yeah. and, And so you're not escaping fossil fuels as much as you want to. It's impossible to do it. We consume and produce 80% here in the United States, the the reliance of it, rather, from, you know, the Department of Energy. It says that it'll be extremely hard to phase away because we're so reliant for consumption and production, 80% for both. 
I mean, I, so, I joke yeah. that there's, you know, obviously no more dead dinosaurs. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I joke about that, but I don't see that this is, I don't, I don't see that this is the best solution forward. And maybe, you know, maybe at some point, but maybe we should be focusing a little more on a hybrid thing or, and maybe not making these goals to net zero so lofty, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I think a big, I think a big part of years, this, I mean, so like someone I was listening to the other day said, you know, if you're buying an EV car, you're, unless you're putting solar panels on your house that are completely charging that car, at some point you're connecting to the grid to, to, to charge, right? And I mean, just, go, that, go that, to dinner and you charge at yep, a restaurant. That's just one small example, right? But you, you're getting that power from somewhere, whether it's mining for the batteries, whether it, you know, whatever the case may mm. be. And so I kind of agree with what you just said, Keith, like a hybrid program is a good one. I don't think it's a one, like a, like a one size fits all kind of a thing. I think it's a, you know, you use a little bit of fossil fuels, you use a little, well, little bit of solar, a little bit of wind. Like if you combine all of that, yeah. you probably could get all it to a, a reasonable level, right? And like we're talking about, again, to kind of bring this full circle, because I, you know, if you're a listener right now and you're saying, why are they talking about this? It's all related, right? It goes back to the hunting and the conservation. And, you know, when we talk about hunting and conservation, that brings in the the, the gun rights fight. Yeah, so you're this disturbing is all, natural habitat to yeah, create. You know, this is all stuff. interrelated. But I think that the point of all of this is you can't really be extreme on this stuff, right? Even the social media stuff. It's like social media is not all bad, but you can't go. Yes, it is. <laughs> to you it is. <laughs> but it has, there are some positives to it, even if Keith doesn't realize it. And there aren't. So, you know, I think it's a, just about being like jumping in with both feet on all of these issues. Right. So I do want to move us to uh, some other conversation. Um, before we do that, uh, I do have all the links to all your social media, your website. But what's the best place for people to to get a hold of you or to, to find your content? What do you what's your, your where do you preferable? want people to go? Yes. I mean, follow me on Instagram. I try to be fun there. Um, I also have a presence on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. I have a website, GabriellaHoffman.com. Although I'm not on, on social media, Gabrielle, you mean X, not Twitter, right? X, whatever it is <laughs> Very now. cool of you, Keith. <laughs> Very cool of you. We are going to do our show's tradition, and we want to do run and gun with you. So I mentioned earlier, it's 10 questions, rapid fire. Keith is going to time it, and we're going to see. We're not going to put it on X. Yeah, oh we my. won't put on next. <laughs> but we're going to see if you, we can get you in the top 10. How's that sound? I'm up for a challenge. Awesome. Okay. Keith, you tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. Here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? My Smith & Wesson M&P Shield. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Something Beretta. If you I don't a, know the exact make. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Probably Joan Rivers. God rest her soul. Favorite caliber? Nine millimeter. Favorite hobby, not gun related. Traveling. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Stop communism. All hell breaks loose. Is it better be armed or trained? Armed. Is it better be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Probably my dad. Let's mix it up. Keith is nodding in approval, so that must have been good. I'm just on the count here. How close to the top? Oh, I think she just fell out of the top 10. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, just wait. <laughs> you just fell out of the top 10, number 11. Oh, right. so Right close. behind Karen Hunter. And I'm usually a fast talker. 
What a disappointment. Well, you just, you hesitated on a, I mean, if you. I try to think, to get critical the, thinking. Yeah, to get the to get the gold in this competition, you can't think. Yeah. It's got to be like just the first thing that comes I'm out sorry. of your mind. Yeah, any, <laughs> any answer will do. <laughs> We're going to get into this, but before we do, Let's Mix It Up is brought to us by 4Patriots.com. 4Patriots provides long-lasting and delicious food options that are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it most. Keith and I have put their food through taste testing and we were very, very impressed. It's delicious, nutritious, and comes in at a great value. Head over to fourpatriots.com and make sure that when the time comes, your family is prepared for the worst. And don't forget, if you go to fourpatriots.com forward slash the gun experiment 10, you can get the deals of the week and save yourself some money and get all kinds of cool options that are out there for you. But remember, it expires every week and then you got to go to the next week's and get the new deals. So <clears throat> on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we are going to discuss the lessons learned from the per perspective of Lithuanian refugees. And so let me give a little backstory to this. Gabriella, your parents uh, were from Lithuania and they... Uh, immigrated here. They were refugees in 1985 and they entered legally in 1986 uh, into the United States. And they have uh, instilled some some strong values in you and sort of given some words of wisdom and, and things to that I think have probably shaped your life quite a bit. And I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of value here. So could you maybe tell their story and tell us about the the importance, I, I heard you mention the one thing you'd want to get rid of is communism. And so maybe- <laughs> In an <laughs> ideal world, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard she wants to have a drink with Joan Rivers. But. I do too. First, <laughs> first time Joan Rivers has ever been brought up on this show, by the way. So very well done. <laughs> so anyway, the, uh, the the mic is yours. And I and I really want to hear all the things that your parents were able to you know, shed light on as refugees from Lithuania. I'll try to condense it as simply as possible because there are a lot of segues I could do, but- Growing up with parents from the former Soviet Union, or what is now present-day Lithuania, a very pro-friendly pro country, and they're actually even one of the most pro-Second Amendment equivalent friendly countries in the or in the European Union, excuse me. And uh, it's a country, of course, that's always been independent-minded. They hated the brutality of having dual occupation from both the Soviets and the Nazis, um, and it's pretty, pretty successful today, and they love America. And so I love being able to lean in on my Lithuanian heritage, you know, into American politics or my work or what have you. But growing up with with my parents, and they're still around, thankfully, it was just so illuminating. And I, I was really fortunate to have people as parents who came from a really oppressive society, even though they didn't really experience the the worst of it. My grandparents honestly had the the worst of it. My parents had their own problems. Uh, there, my dad faced anti-Semitism, um, and, and you couldn't express yourself freely uh, when it was post-Stalin either as well. But they weren't throwing in, you into the gulags as much. <laughs> but you would still have a lot of threats towards you if you spoke out against the regime and whatnot. And so learning from them, honestly, was fantastic. And, and having the upbringing, being first-generation American, growing up in America, and then obviously hearing that contrasted with what my grandparents and they had to go through and, and really learning how to have a sense of appreciation for being born in America, being an American citizen, not having to have to come to America later in life, like a lot of people do and wait so many years to become legal in this country. And so I, I wear it with a badge of honor and, and just hearing their lessons and their wisdom and their experiences there 
taught me to obviously accord myself to different or to certain rather political dispositions. I lean conservative largely because, you know, we're anti-communist and I like the free market system. I believe that people would be far better off if they are able to have free decisions and pursue their destiny rather than being told from the government what their outcome is going to be like. You have to be in control. I also think um, the Lithuanian kind of heritage, obviously it's pretty traditional too. It's a Catholic country um, and has a big Jewish population as well. I have family members of both Catholic and, and Jewish faith. And so um, you find that pretty common in Lithuania as well, even though it's predominantly a Catholic country. So they're pretty faith-driven, um, like freedom, very pro-free market friendly, pro-Second Amendment. And it, it has a lot of overlap with with my being American. And so, um, Can we touch yeah, on I learned really a lot. Quick, so I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Can we touch really quick? Because you mentioned that they're very pro-Second Amendment. Can you talk about a, well, let's start with this. Can, can you talk about why that's so important to them? Um, based probably a lot of it has to be, has to do with historically speaking, but- Proximity to Russia too. Yeah. Why, why is that? Why do they value the Second Amendment so much? Compared to most of the EU, I think they, much like the Czech Republic- uh, they don't like the EU dictates. And when you're an EU member, unfortunately, you have to sacrifice a lot of things. So the culture is pretty pro-Second Amendment, but you have to register for like a gun club in order to be able to obtain like AR-15s or very specialized rifles, which is crazy to think of, like that you need that as a prerequisite as an American. Very disconcerting. But even with those restrictions or kind of obstacles in place, they remember their history. You know, like I said, dual occupation. They faced Nazi occupation, Soviet occupation, they have a modern day threat from Russia, which has a lot of similarities to kind of the old Russia um, under the Soviet Union. And so they, they recognize their history and they recognize that their independence can be gone with a snap of a finger. And they're very cautious as a smaller country of trusting anyone. They should be a little more distrustful of the EU, personally speaking, <laughs> uh, because there are a lot of dangers with leaning with them because they're they're very big on disarmament. So mm -hmm. um, you have both threats, I would say twin threats sometimes of a very controlling Brussels and then also from the Kremlin as well. And so they're just more cautious now being independent of what could be at stake if you don't have gun yeah, ownership. I, I find this that the reason I, I led with that is because I find it interesting that so many Americans we've, we have such a luxury living in this country. We have, we've we do. had so many, so many years of just living in an amazing place that I think sometimes we take it for granted. I say we, I'm not, you know, obviously I think the people on, on this, having this conversation, the three of us appreciate it, but a lot of people, I think they don't see how not having your freedom, not having that like you mentioned about, um, free markets and, um, limited government, that those are luxuries that some countries don't have. And so having the ability to defend yourself is a God given right. And, I think sometimes when you didn't have it, you appreciate it. But the fact that we have it so readily available, a lot of people just, they don't value it the way that they should. So I'm curious how your parents feel in this day and age based on that, that our country is at this point very, very divided, um, very split down the middle. Um, you know, how does that feel for them? You know, now you said they're still alive and I'm curious in their take on that and your take as well. Yeah, I, I think we have very similar overlapping views, uh, my parents and I, and they are disappointed with kind of the state of the country because they see that people really do take their rights for granted here. And you shouldn't in a place like this, you should be very happy to have free speech, gun ownership. 
and all the other rights afforded to us by the Constitution, but people just say that the Constitution is excessive, we don't really need it, we need to be like New Zealand and all these other countries who they think is idealistic, but it's actually not. Uh, we saw it a lot with the COVID pandemic, and we saw it with other situations where they've clamped down on gun rights and other rights. Um, the the former British colonies, uh, per se, like uh, or that are under the Commonwealth today, like in New Zealand, Australia, um, the Bahamas, and others, like they have to respond back to the UK. And the UK, although it is away from the EU, um, and, and I guess these countries, I, I don't know the governments per se, but a lot of them have dictates that don't allow for gun ownership. I think. Outside of the United States, I think Guatemala and Mexico are the only two other countries that have a Second Amendment or an equivalent of a Second Amendment in their parliament or in their constitution if they're like a president, a presidency um, and not so much a parliamentary system. And so very few countries around the world, um, even other Western countries, have a right like a Second Amendment enshrined in their constitution or their equivalent document. And it's it's pretty alarming to see that and and. And, and then you see our when you see your peers or our peers rather clamoring, like, let's be like Australia, let's be like New Zealand. And I look there like they still have violent crime, even with the absence of firearms, per se. People still sure. obtain firearms in the black market. Um, and it's not as idyllic as they like to make it out to be. Or they say, like, let's be socialist like Sweden and Denmark. But Sweden and Denmark are not really socialist. They have cronyism. Um, they the government just exploits free enterprise to their advantage and taxes people to oblivion. And so um, you, you talk to people who are Scandinavian, they tell you, we're not socialists. We don't like that stuff, too, but our, we're too taxed by our government. So you kind of have like that mixed model, uh, kind of mixed economy there. And so it, I think it would take a lot of people, if we're tying it back to why people don't appreciate America so much, if people supplanted or transplanted themselves somewhere else for a time, let's say a lot of people who support terrorism uh, by Hamas, you want to go, you support the people in Gaza Go see what it's like to live in Gaza. Maybe exactly. you won't support what they're doing. <laughs> you have a desire to be like Australia. Go live there for a time and see what restrictions are actually like. Uh, perhaps you want to go to China and you're fond of the CCP. You go there for a time and you realize it's not as hunky-dory as it's, as it's made out to be. Because some people do really buy that propaganda and think it's a great system. Same with the Kremlin in Russia. That it's, I think it's adhering to, to different things that some people are aspiring for. Um, you know, kind of they're like America has lost its way and like China and Russia are so much better morally speaking, which is crazy to me that people even think that it's not the case. It's a mirage. I think you're hitting the nail on the head here. I think, you know, what, what, it, what it comes down to, and maybe I'm boiling it down a little too much, but you know, we've just taken, we just have taken for granted as Americans because we've only experienced this and we just think that our freedom of speech, our freedom to our opinion is a, it will make these things better because if we, if we keep those things and we act like these other places that you mentioned, Sweden or wherever, you know, things will be better. They're not. They're not going to be better. I mean, if you talk to some Canadians about socialized medicine, they would way prefer an open market over socialized medicine. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny. It's Same funny. With their guns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny because Canada. You mentioned you mentioned that Keith. Uh, I was just reading something and it was more like a comment in like a social media thing. And the guy said, yeah, we love free medicine here. Free as in they take 40% of my of my pay to yeah. pay for it. And then I have to get on a waiting list before I can have any procedure yeah, done. Yeah, you have a broken arm, you 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 wait in line versus the yeah. 30 but other people that have a broken arm. And, it's and, free, as I air quote this, <laughs> yeah. right? It's free. <laughs> Nothing and, is free. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, now you look at Canada and like they're actually becoming very, very tyrannical in terms of what people 
people can do and can't do. And I think of my son, you know, he had a, a, a football injury recently and, uh, you know, we were able to pick the orthopedics person to go look at it. And, and we were able to pick, you wouldn't be able to do that in a, in a socialized medicine state. Yeah. I agree. So Gabriella, I want to respect your time. And, you know, we're at that hour mark that we discussed, but before I let you go, I'd like to have you, uh, have the last word here and, and talk about your, your feelings on our freedoms as Americans and, uh, and just your thoughts. If you have the ability to definitely speak out on what you're comfortable speaking out on, whether it's a defense of freedom, the second amendment, uh, support of small business, representing the little guy, little gal, uh, if we lose our ability to do that, we will be unrecognizable as a country. So I think it's important and incumbent upon your listeners and anyone checking out this podcast to not be afraid to speak out. Um, I think you can win over a lot of undecideds. I think people, if you make a convincing case for freedom, will incline to you if you're tender, but also convincing as well. And I think um, discourse is healthy. We need to be having more discourse as well. And Talk about why this country is so great, why so many people come here risking their lives by legal and even illegal means to come to this country, why people still seek this nation of ours out. Um, it, it says something, even with all of our problems, people still want to come here. They know things are good here. Generally speaking, you have opportunities to remake yourself and we need to still be the last best hope and, and that beacon of freedom that we have always been. And that's my kind of takeaway and then final thoughts for your listeners. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Of course. Thank you so much. I, I really want to thank you for coming on and discussing everything, social media, conservation, and you know your love of outdoors. I'm especially grateful for you sharing the values and the crucial lesson, lessons that your parents brought with them from Lithuania. I think that's very, very powerful. And I think we would all be very, very wise to remember just how lucky we are to have the freedoms that we enjoy. And so to everyone listening, Thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, and Spotify so we can keep the conversation going. 